Hi, you're listening to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Ogden, Utah. My name is John Draskovic. I'm the pastor here. And what you'll hear is the message, the sermon from the week's worship before. And uh, you can always check out the full service that has the music and our prayers and liturgy on our YouTube channel. If you go to YouTube, you can just search First Presbyterian Church Ogden and you can find us there. We've got all our services recorded, including the, the most recent um, live stream of our, of our service. I hope you enjoy this podcast and you find it to be a blessing. Grace and peace to you, my friends. And uh, this week we're continuing on with our journey through uh, John, and we're into chapter 6 of John's Gospel. In the first 15 verses, we're going to be looking at the miracle feeding story. This is one of those stories that's found in all four Gospels. John, of course, puts his own unique uh, flavor to it, his own spin on it. And I just want to encourage you to be paying attention to uh, the fact that and you'll hear this in the message, but we are we are children of the Enlightenment, and so we have a very per- particular perspective on the miraculous and uh, maybe what Jesus is inviting us into in terms of our relationship of faith to him and expectancy of God's action and engagement in the world. And so um, uh, the next couple weeks, as a matter of fact, we're going to have some guest preachers because I'm going to be out of town. But uh, Bob Nakaoka will be there on the 25th and Kirk Brabasco on the 2nd. And I know you'll enjoy it. We may not have these introductions, but um, I will still put the, the sermons up on the podcast. Also, just an FYI, this week we had our worship outdoors. And so the audio quality is going to be a little bit less than what we typically get. Uh, but you can you can still hear it. Well, enjoy this week's, and we'll see you next week for a new message. All right, let's take a moment now to offer a prayer. Lord, we come before you as your children out in the beauty of your creation, this good world that you've made, giving you thanks. Like so many who have come before us, like Jesus out on a mountainside, preaching and proclaiming the good news to those who came to him. Like those early itinerant preachers, like the Middle Ages with Francis of Assisi, like John Wesley going out into the fields. Here we are to worship you under your beautiful canopy. Lord, speak to us on this day. May your Holy Spirit guide us and lead us as we seek to hear your word, the living word of Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Yes. Um, okay, so we're making our way through John's gospel. We're in the sixth chapter. And by the way, I think this is the best Sunday school that the kids have ever enjoyed. Yeah. Um, we, we, <laughs> I, I wonder how many kids we'd get there if this was what Sunday school was every week. Yeah. Uh, this is the second time in John's gospel that he mentions the Passover. The first time Jesus was in Jerusalem and he does the clearing of the temple with makes the, the whip, right? There'll be a third time that comes. Jesus shows up for the the last time. That's when we hear the story that I read to the children. Now, it's not an accident that Jesus ties this event to the Passover, right? Passover was the festival of freedom. It was relief and hope to suffering people. And here we have this miracle story of people receiving daily bread and sustenance. 
Now, Passover is tied to the Exodus story. And the Exodus story is actually bigger than just the book of Exodus. It kind of goes all the way through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And uh, there's a couple of places in particular that when we read this story, John wants us to be thinking about. So, for example, I know you all have this memorized, but just for you know, your sake, Exodus 16 is the story when the manna is given by God to the hungry people out in the wilderness. God feeds his people with this miraculous sustenance. And then there's a little bit later in, in Numbers, in chapter 11, the people are just sick and tired of eating the bread. And they're complaining because they're really good at that. And so they complain to Moses and they say, when can we have just some, something else? How about a little meat, huh? And this is when the story of the quail show up. They get blown in by an east wind. And Moses is complaining to God. He goes, where am I to get enough food to feed all these people? Which is almost a direct quote of what Jesus asks Philip. Where are we going to get food to feed all these people? There's a, another kind of lesser known story in 2 Kings where one of the prophets, Elisha, does a, a similar miracle feeding where there's a man who comes and he brings 20 loaves for the first fruit offering. And there's a hundred people there who are hungry. And Elisha says to his second hand, his, his right hand man, he goes, hey, take the loaves and go feed these people. He goes, well, there's not enough food here for all them. What are we going to do? He goes, don't worry. You're going to feed them and there's going to be some left over. And that's what happens. So that's from 2 Kings 4. So there's all these echoes that we hear in this story. This story, by the way, the miracle feeding is the only miracle story that's in all four gospels. It was really incredibly important to the early Christian community. And so um, we find ourselves, that's what, what's going on, the timing of what's happening. Now, where is this? What, what's the location? We're in Galilee. We're up north. We're on the Sea of Galilee. We're up on the north shore. And there's a big crowd of people who are following Jesus because they're seeing all the things that he's doing. They're seeing the signs. And I don't think that they're shallow or superficial. The signs are supposed to draw people. Like, that's the point of them, right? People are supposed to say, oh my gosh, look at, do you see what's going on here? We got to go check this out. We got to hear something from this guy. And there are some really impressive things that happen in this chapter, not just the miracle feeding story. This is where John has Jesus walking on the water. And then he delivers this beautiful teaching on his being the bread of life. And you would think after this kind of a showing, you know, Jesus, he's kind of on fire right now. You know, he's feeding people. He's walking out on the sea. You think that his followers would be multiplied like loaves and fishes. But interestingly, when we get to the end of this chapter, most of the crowd had actually dissipated. They'd actually gone away. He, most of the, the bigger crowd of disciples had left him. And even one of his inner 12, Judas, makes his move to leave Jesus as well. And so it's, it's kind of interesting. Sometimes God's mission goes forward by what feels like is going backwards, or maybe moves forward by going downward, deeper. Sitting deeper into the lives and the hearts of those people who stuck by him. And so Jesus goes up onto a mountain to pray, and he sees the crowd of people come out to him. And there's this exchange between, he's got these two disciples, there's Philip 
and there's Andrew. And so he turns over to Philip. He goes, where are we going to get enough food to feed all these people? Which actually kind of makes sense. Philip was from that area. So, you know, he knew where the quickie mart was. And so he's like, Philip, where, where, where are we going to go? He's really looking for an answer of faith. What I think Jesus is looking for is, Lord, I got no idea how we're going to get enough food to feed these people, but I have seen you do some amazing things, so I'm going to trust that you're going to do something amazing now. Apparently, the gospel says that Jesus said this to test Philip. Apparently, Jesus does test his disciples' faith from time to time with these situations that at least seem impossible. To see what they'll do, not on their own steam, but by leaning on him. To at least have a little bit of trust that God really is active and moving in the world. Well, Philip and Andrew, they kind of fail the test, which makes me feel better about myself because they were a lot closer to Jesus. Right? They interpret Jesus' question on the very conventional level. Hey, we don't have enough money. We can't, we can't possibly buy enough food to feed all these people, which got me thinking how often we all are like Philip and Andrew. And now this is, there are some really great things to live in the time and place where we do. Number one, indoor plumbing. <laughs> Number two, uh, hospitals, surgery with anesthesia, vaccines, uh, the internet, right? There, we have, we, we can fly across, I'm gonna, uh, on Monday, I'm gonna fly across the country in 12 hours, you know? Like, that's amazing. But there are some downsides because we all are children of the enlightenment. We are Western American Christians. And so that has shaped us and formed us in particular ways. We don't live in expectancy that God is going to break into the world at any moment. And when it comes right down to it, the story from Genesis to Revelation with Jesus in the middle is the story of God breaking into creation. That's what the story is all about. God is active in the world and moving and God is doing things for his people. Now we, particularly we Presbyterians, who like to use this a lot, we have something to learn here from our charismatic and Pentecostal and evangelical friends who really live with that sense of expectancy. And I'll be honest with you too, our LDS brothers and sisters, I think they have something to teach us here as well. Living with a sense of God breaking in and active and moving in the world. Because we think that if we are going to get it done, we got to do it on our own. But I think God is saying, hey, trust me. Give a, little, give a little over to me and see what I can do with it. And if you have ever been into what we used to call the third world, the, the developing world, if you've ever been into some of those places and you visit with folks who are faithful Christians there, you can see what it's like when they say, we can't do this, but we know God's got it. And they lean on the Lord in a way that is so inspiring. And they've got stories about the miracles that God has done. Well, Philip and Andrew, which feels like, you know, there are stand-ins in this story. Their answer shows how insufficient their categories, their mental models really are. They can't comprehend what Jesus is up to, what he's about to do. Jesus alone is the one who knows how to meet the needs 
of his people. And we can be like Philip and Andrew. We can lack imagination. We can fear putting our faith to the test. Right? Philip saw all these people out there. He sees the financial situation. Our budget, it was not created with this in mind. We don't have the finances. The the market's been down this year, Jesus. And Philip is technically correct, but faith-wise is kind of a bust. And so let me ask you, what is your, where are we going to buy enough bread for all these people question? What's Jesus asking you to put a little faith into? That doesn't make any sense to you today. Where is Jesus leading you to just have a little faith in him? And maybe a little action behind that faith. And maybe watch something miraculous take place that you didn't think could. And the only thing that I can tell you about this, because each one of you probably has a different question. Each one of you is being asked by Jesus, where can we get a little bread for these people? Is that if you only play it safe, if you only use this, if you only rely on that which you can do, if you only think in those conventional mental models, you're going to miss out on some amazing things that God wants to do. And that's not to say you don't have a part to play. You sure do. Andrew, Andrew says, hey, hey, there's a little kid here. He's got a couple of loaves of bread and some fish. Maybe we could do something with that. And apparently that was enough because Jesus said, try me, bring it here. Watch and see. So I think John's lesson to us here is even impossible situations, if we give Jesus just a little something, just a little faith, just a little credit to be able to do something big, he'll take it and run with it. Now, the the actual miracle itself is kind of understated. It's It's really unremarkable. Nobody knows what happens until they collect all the baskets afterwards and they realize, holy cow, did you see what what was there and what's here now? These overabundance, the grace that abounds. And I think that at the very least, all four of the gospels include this story because they all know that Jesus, he cared about people's real lives. He cared that people were hungry. He wasn't just out to save souls. He wanted people to have dignity in their life as well. Right, you think about probably half, probably more than half of the NGOs in the world that are working in those developing countries. Do you know why they do it? They do it because of Jesus. They're feeding people. They're teaching people how to farm. They're helping them get clean water. They're building up job skills to integrate into the global economy because Jesus wants them to have dignity. Think of the hospitals. Uh, we, uh, some of the names of the hospitals, you know, St. Mark's, St. Luke's, Deaconess. Uh, Ogden Regional was founded by the Benedictine sisters. What was it? It used to be called St. Benedict's. I was born in a St. Vincent's. These hospitals, uh, on my ride in this morning, I heard... Uh, New York Presbyterian something, something, something hospital, right? They were put there because people knew that Jesus gave a damn. He cared. He cared about people's lives and their dignity and their healing in their bodies. 
And so the story closes where they, they see this happen and they want to make him king. They see the leftovers and they say, hey, we remember from Deuteronomy, there's going to be a prophet like Moses who's going to show up. This is the guy. He's got to be the guy. And so they want to make him king. And he sees this coming. And what does he do? He hightails it and runs away. Which could be a little confusing, right? Isn't the point? Isn't the purpose supposed to be that, you know, the preaching comes, the the sign, the miracle comes, and they say, we want to make Jesus Lord. We want to make him king. Yes, good job. Isn't that why I do what I do every Sunday is so that we will say, Jesus is Lord. He is our king. Yes. So what's wrong? Why does Jesus head up the mountain? Well, ultimately, I think what's wrong is that they've got the wrong idea of what king means, what king looked like. Because it's really hard for us on this side of the created and creator divide to get Jesus. We've been wrestling with this, friends, for a couple thousand years now, and we still get it wrong, right? Our first instincts about Jesus seem to be so right, and yet when we try to make Jesus king, okay, this one's going to hit close to home, our faith often becomes allowed to be co-opted by political agendas, advancing private interests of what we would like to see, rather than to say, Jesus, what would you like to see? You know that Jesus' name gets plastered over all kinds of king language here. Every election season is a test for the church. Are we going to follow him or let him follow us? So we have to constantly relearn Jesus on his own terms, not on ours, or else he's going to head up the mountain and leave us behind. And I think this relearning process is lifelong, continuing ed, you never graduate from. He still wants us. But he wants us as he defines himself, not as we do. And there's an early church father named Rupert who put it this way. Those who seek Christ for anything other than Christ himself will find that he flees from them. That and the spirit of truth, too. So I hope that we seek Christ, not for the sign, not for the miracle, not because we have an agenda, but we seek Christ for himself and let everything else be added unto it. That's my hope and my prayer for us on this day as we gather out here in public, proclaiming that we're seeking to follow the Christ, the risen Messiah, Lord of creation, King. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, you have uh, been with us for another week's message. I hope it was beneficial and edifying to you. And um, if you are somebody who wants to kind of participate in the broader life of the church or our worship, uh, you are welcome to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. We're at 880 28th Street in Ogden. And uh, if you want to watch the whole service, you can check us out on our YouTube channel. Just search First Presbyterian Church Ogden in YouTube and it'll bring you there. We've got all our services recorded. 
And of course, if you would like to support, financially support the ministry of our church and be a partner with us and what it is that we're doing for the name of Jesus in Ogden and around the world, I encourage you to go to our website so that you can uh, you can give to support us. That's uh, www.fpcogden.org. Peace and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you until we meet each other again here.